Over the bridge, cried Gandalf, recalling his strength. Fly, this is a foe beyond any of you. I must hold the narrow way. Fly. The Balrog reached the bridge. Gandalf stood in the middle of the span, leaning on the staff in his left hand, but in his other hand, Glamdring gleamed cold and white. His enemy halted again, facing him, and the shadow about it reached out like two vast wings. It raised the whip, and the thongs whined and cracked. Fire came from its nostrils, but Gandalf stood firm. You cannot pass, he said. The orc stood still, and a dead silence fell. I am a servant of the secret fire, wielder of the flame of Anor. You cannot pass. The dark fire will not avail you, flame of Udun. Go back to the shadow. You cannot pass. The Balrog made no answer. The fire in it seemed to die, but the darkness grew. It stepped forward slowly onto the bridge, and suddenly it drew itself up to a great height, and its wings were spread from wall to wall, but still Gandalf could be seen, glimmering in the gloom. He seemed small and altogether alone, gray and bent, like a wizened tree before the onset of a storm. From out of the shadow a red sword leaped flaming. Glamdring glittered white in response. There was a ringing clash and a stab of white fire. The Balrog fell back, and its sword flew up in molten fragments. The wizard swayed on the bridge, stepped back a pace, and then again stood still. You cannot pass, he said. With a bound, the Balrog leaped full upon the bridge. Its whip curled and hissed. He cannot stand alone, cried Aragorn suddenly, and ran back along the bridge. Elendil, he shouted, I am with you, Gandalf. Gondor, cried Boromir, and leaped after him. At that moment, Gandalf lifted his staff, and crying aloud, he smote the bridge before him. The staff broke asunder and fell from his hand. A blinding sheet of white flame sprang up. The bridge cracked. Right at the Balrog's feet, it broke, and the stone upon which it stood crashed into the gulf, while the rest remained poised, quivering like a tongue of rock thrust out into emptiness. With a terrible cry, the Balrog fell forward, and its shadow plunged down and vanished. But even as it fell, it swung its whip and the thongs lashed and curled about the wizard's knees, dragging him to the brink. He staggered and fell, grasped vainly at the stone, and slid into the abyss. Fly, you fools, he cried, and was gone. The Way Lesser Inklings is a podcast whose desire is to mine the depths of great literature to identify the good, the true, and the beautiful through examining characters and places and the writings, and to pay homage to the great writers, thinkers, and philosophers of the 20th century known as the Inklings. Welcome back to the Way Lesser Inklings. I'm one of your hosts, Josh Rice, and with me again is my brother Jake. Hello. There he is. And we are continuing the uh, the trip to, through Moria this week with the chapter that's called The Bridge of Khazadum, which is somewhat intimidating because it's probably one of the most famous chapters in the in the whole story so it's it's also very short as far as the chapters go so trying to do it justice is a, is a tall order we'll try to do that um i'll kind of give us a recap of where we are if you'll remember in the story the whole company has gone into the ancient dwarf kingdom that's called moria um that used to be called Khazad-dûm before it was overrun by durin's bane who was asleep in the deep places and the the, the dwarves mined deeply to try to get mithril and woke up Durin's bane he killed all of them and and so the kingdom fell into disarray it's been invaded by orcs and about 30 years prior to where we sit in the chapter now a team of dwarves led by balan from uh, from the hobbit um takes a party to go back to Moria to try to set up a, 
an encampment there and to try to do the work. And so we've, as we ended last chapter, we came to, as the party had made their way almost through the entire mines, they're in the Duero Delph, and they come up to the tomb of Balin. And so they now know that Balin has died. They don't yet know how he did. And so that's where this chapter starts us. So Jake, I think you had the you had kind of the outline for this one and have it set up. So I'm going to kick it to you to tee us up for this episode. Yeah. Um, so basically, it is a short chapter, um, and so the action in the chapter is really quick hitting. And I kind of saw it in four parts. So there's the the book or um, the you know the reading of the records is really what we're getting. Um, there's a defense of the hall, there's the flight to the bridge, and then there's the stand, essentially the last stand on the bridge. Mm-hmm. And so um, with those four parts, I think as we just go sequentially through the chapter, we start with, you know, with this record that Balin's folk had left for us. Um, and really, as we find, it's their last stand in what's called the the chamber of Mazarbul or the chamber of records um and and so Gandalf finds this book that chronicles uh in sort of broken fashion you know what we're what we're dealing with with this you know this ill-fated journey from Erebor to Moria mm. yeah and, and so within the book it almost tells a miniature story and I think this is where I parked it the longest in the reading was Tolkien Tolkien gives us a a sense of realism here because the book has been been through a battle basically and it's been slashed up by swords and blood's been spilled on it and so large parts of it are not legible at all and Gandalf in the dim light that they have in this chamber is trying to make out what the book says and it's pretty cryptic but through its through its uh, broken language, Tolkien really gives us a story arc of the the quest to kind of resettle or repopulate Moria, and it, it's really broken. It kind of the way Tolkien does it is he uses a device there that keeps your attention and really draws you in because you're you're really wondering what Gandalf is about to say because he's really is reading like three words at a time and he's piecing mm-hmm. it together. But and so I instantly was alerted to. Since since Tolkien has decided in this chapter to give us these tiny snippets of language, what he does include to write, he's obviously doing that for a very specific purpose. And I see it as him telling this story, which which begins in like a small victory and then mm-hmm. a coronation and then taking up their forefathers' work in mining and having some success and then having the response of the enemy to that success and ultimately the downfall that winds mm-hmm. up with Balin being in a tomb here. Did did you kind yeah. of see it that way? I, I I did. And I think I think there's a so along with that, I think there's two things is why it's so brilliant what he's done here is he's in the first place he's giving us this this little story of Balin's company, but he's also building tension. Um because the room that they're in is the room where uh, the last stand of you know this party uh, has their defense and and ultimately mm-hmm. fails, um, and so while so while we're getting kind of the tale the missing tale from the Council of Elrond, 
you know, it, it was a question that was asked. We we haven't heard from Balin. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it could be that there's a mighty work or it could be that they're gone or it could be that they fled. Um, and so we Tolkien kind of closes that chapter for us with, you know, with a device that's that's engaging, that's um, that's somber, but also builds tension in the moment that we're in. Yeah, and he also, he continues what he had been working on in the last chapter of really foreshadowing and and this is really that near term foreshadowing that what's going on in the book is about to be exactly what happens in the present, and it yeah. it really does play out that way. That yeah. you know they've it's it's almost all the way down to the detail. There's been a success, right? They've they've found the Dwarrow mm-hmm. Delph and they see the lights from the outside of the mountain, and then they have that you know they see the, the where the king was, and they get information that Gimli was wanting. And then there's yeah. going to be what's going to be like the the downfall. But this yeah. one, you know, this one presumably is a greater fight than even what Balin did because there's no indication from the journal writing anywhere that Durin's bane was involved with the fall of the dwarves ultimately. Because mm-hmm. what we would understand is that Durin's bane just annihilates them. It, you know, that's right. that's what happened when he found the when when they unearthed Durin's bane in the first place and. Yeah. That's not what happens in the Chamber of Records. It's just orcs right. that swarm them over. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting because there's I think there's kind of two two parts to that. Is there's this little it's kind of a volley, right? When they when they come to Moria, the the book says that they you know that they drove the orcs out of the twenty first hall. Mm-hmm. Um, that they you know seemingly that they kill or that they killed some on the doorstep and they drove others out of this area where they've kind of set up their kingdom. Um, but later as you know, it seems that they've had some success, right? They find Mithril, which is a huge success. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and one of the primary reasons to come back, they find heirlooms, they find gold, they label seemingly Durin's ax, which would have been, I think a pretty, a pretty, uh, incredible find. Mm -hmm. Um, um, but then we find later too, as as uh, as Balin is down at the mirror mirror, that he's slain um, by an orc, but that more orcs were coming up from the Silverload, which is a place outside of Moria, mm-hmm. um, coming from the Lorien region or from kind of the south and east. And so there, there's this element of reinforcement that's happening, which is kind of fascinating because Moria seems far away from where the primary action. Um, of Sauron's armies would be right. I think there's there's probably two possible explanations for it that are probably both true. I think I think one of them would be that um, the Balrog or Durin's bane is a, a creature of immense intellect and and power, and he would be able to summon and bring more, you know, more to to swell up his army. But also, mm-hmm. Sauron himself knows that. Making making the uh, the misty mountains difficult to pass and keeping the dwarves from having any kind of stronghold in this really strategic place is is highly important. Because mm-hmm. in the story we've we've already seen it with Caradras and th- and now with this these two chapters that it's really difficult to get through the mountains and we know that mm-hmm. from the Hobbit too that you yeah. know that they get captured by goblins in the hobbit in the mountains trying to get across it's it's a really dangerous place and so sauron would have a huge strategic need to keep that thing kind of locked down and also he already owns it right so he's he's ultimately fighting against a small settlement and it's something that 
you know, I think there's a nod to kind of the ruthlessness of evil here that, you know, evil, man, we see it all the time in (laughs) the way, the way the world works is that good guys are always trying to, um, you know, rightfully fight a principled battle, but at the same time are pretty hesitant to strike out and, and to eliminate the enemy. We see it all the way back in, in the beginnings of the old Testament where the Israelites over and over again, refuse to completely root out the enemy. But in this story, the bad guys have no problem about that. Like they see, they see a small settlement of dwarves in here and their, their goal is to entirely eliminate this encampment. They're going to destroy it. They're going to take all of them down and they're going to own the mountain. And that's, that's ultimately, I can't think kind of the, the domination attitude that, that Sauron Mm -hmm. and definitely Durin's Bane would have here. And so yeah. this, that's why this was doomed from the start is because the dwarves yeah. had no power that was ultimately going to be able to stand against what was controlling yeah. Moria. Yeah. One one other thought that occurred to me um, as you're talking about the strategic nature of Moria for um, for Sauron is that you know the other the other option that um, Boromir had suggested to go around uh, you know is that Sauron also knows that he has Saruman right whether in a sense, like whether they're competing rivals or he's Sauron's man, which I don't believe that he is, regardless, Sauron's wise enough to know that Saruman's not going to let, you know, his direct enemy pass through right. without dealing with it. Right. And so, you know, this this is one of those key places where, you know, where, and, and we know too from just a little bit later that Sauron has sent orcs to this area. Mm-hmm. Like it... it you know, Gandalf identifies them as black Urix from, from Mordor. <laughs> so I never thought I was going to go here, but here's a wild fan theory for you. <laughs> a piece of these, this is what this is for, right? So yeah. in, in uh, the Ringo South at Caradras, there, there is the mention that the enemy's arm has grown long indeed. If he can throw snow at us from, in the misty mountains from Mordor, Gandalf said mm-hmm. his arm has grown long. There's kind of an indication or a thought that Sauron would be able to hurl snow at them that to almost force them into this situation, right? Or mm-hmm. at least to keep them from going across the mountain. But we also know that there was a Nazgul that was flying overhead. I think we could probably safely assume that that would be that could definitely be the Witch King who would be the most powerful sorcerer that, mm-hmm. that Sauron has. And so I wonder... I wonder if it's not the Nazgul who are always associated with cold and chill that that might have been doing the conjuring that almost has a bird's eye of Caradras, and he knows that he can't directly assault the fellowship there. They're way too powerful for a for a single Nazgul. Mm-hmm. I just I mm-hmm. wonder about that. I think I think mm-hmm. that this is one of those things that either it, by the works of an enemy or by like the providence that that they've been brought along this path because. This the, the, this chapter really results in a world changing event happening. That's that's not mm-hmm. the main story at all, right? Yeah. It's it's yeah. It's a side story, right. but it is a it is really what you know what I think Dane had said well, that we talked about in the last chapter is this is the world changing, right? Because mm-hmm. Durin's bane is is going to be directly yeah. assaulted here. And it, and it's yeah. kind of based on the design of the enemy in the first place that brings him to this point. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, this is, that's a really good point to, uh, I, I'm not going to, uh, well, so first I'm not going to 
argue with your wild fan theories. Because <laughs> <laughs> I just I mean, throw it out there, right? Like I'm not. Yeah. I wouldn't go to war about it, but I think it's it's interesting right. that the Nazgul is clearly alluded to in that chapter, and then we get mm-hmm. that, and it's, yeah. it's kind of hard to place why. You know, why why yeah. is that happening other than just spying mm-hmm. or something? Yeah, the, you know, just spying. I think also to to grow another threat like there's that breadcrumb threat that's mm-hmm. that's kind of coming along with it but but we know that we do know that they're powerful um and you know and they're they're obviously way more mobile mm-hmm. <laughs> than they were yeah. before um but to to tie back to probably what's going to be the close of the book section i think um is just that you know is kind of in relation to Dane's statement um, that we talked about in the last episode is that um, Gandalf, you know, kind of says the same thing as he says, you know, so ended the attempt to retake Moria. It was valiant, but foolish. The time is not come yet, mm. you know? And, and so there, there's that element that, you know, it was, it was, it was folly in a sense while they did have some mild successes, it was folly because the, the main threat had not been dealt with, mm-hmm. right? The enemy here has not been dealt with. Right. And so there was no way that they were going to reestablish the kingdom in full. Yeah. And I do see that. I see, I see that, that we, you know, good guys constantly fail to just root out <laughs> the enemy. They, mm-hmm. We try to sidle on and coexist, I think. And I don't know that, bal- like, they weren't trying to coexist with orcs. But they did mm-hmm. think that they could. I don't know what they thought they could do. Maybe Durin's bane mm-hmm. was dead or asleep, and they thought that they could just kind of sidle in, or they really hadn't that thought that far ahead. It's mm-hmm. an interesting deal that he, like, I think he, the Balrog has to know what they're doing almost from the start, and kind of just lets them do it a little while. It's it, it, there's mm-hmm. something mentioned later. I think it's about Shelob later in the story that she likes to play with her food a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I wonder if there's a little element of that because it, it is really cruel the way this happens, right? They yeah. let them settle there and and live there for years. Yeah, right. And it's kind of yeah, like the slow years. bleed, right? <clears throat> like like he he talks about Floyd being killed right at the start and buried, you know, mm-hmm. and and then you know Balin actually gets picked off, you know, mm-hmm. at the mirror because he's comfortable. Yeah. He gets comfortable. He goes alone. Yeah, he shouldn't have done that. That's a ridiculous thing for a king to do in contested territory. But he's he's mm-hmm. not thinking of it that way. And and, and I, I don't know what to make of it. This was a thing that I wanted to do before we move too far on, is that okay. at, at some point, Gandalf, while he's reading it, he says that it gets too scribbly, it's too fast, he skips ahead a little bit, and he sees that there's a different handwriting. It's a large, mm-hmm. bold hand using an elvish script. Very interesting that Gimli immediately says that would be Ori's hand. Mm-hmm. And he says he could write well and speedily and often use elvish characters. Gandalf says, I fear that he had ill tidings to record in a fair hand. So let me just ask, how how many people do you know that you could recognize their handwriting? <laughs> My dad's. <laughs> yep. His is very distinct and he has really good penmanship. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I my wife's probably. I, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's probably it. right. You know, I don't even know that I could recognize my wife's handwriting because she's kind of a chameleon because she hand letters and does all that stuff. Right. I'm not really sure what her handwriting proper looks like. <laughs> but but I think it's a it's it's a it's a nod here to this to some kind of intimacy cuz cuz Gimli was not in the party. He was a son of Glowen who was in the party. 
and he instantly knows mm-hmm. who's writing this. So either Ori was writing a whole lot, right. you know, and it was widely right. circulate, circulated, or yeah. like Gimli was just reading stuff that Ori wrote all yeah. the time. Uh, I thought right. it was a neat nod, and then Gandalf basically doesn't doesn't brush that aside. Bring, Gandalf really brings attention to it that mm-hmm. it is a really good handwriting. It's a fair mm-hmm. hand, and yeah, and then what he writes is terrible. You know, it's about Balin right. going down. <laughs> It's about yeah. being trapped in, and that's really where we get to our transition, right? Is that that Ori mm-hmm. writes about the final days, um, drums yeah. in the deep, we cannot get out, they are coming, um, mm-hmm. and then Gandalf stops, and that's that's kind of the moody thing. And Gimli says, Gimli mutters, "We cannot get out. It's well for us the mm-hmm. pool had sunk." And then Gandalf says, "They made a stand by both the doors," and then here it comes, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now, right. So now here's here's the the defense. Yeah. Because now yeah. they hear drums. Drums in the deep mm-hmm. and then a bunch of voices outside in the in the great hall. Mhm. Yeah. I do and so right, so I think as we move in here, I think there's um a couple things that are that are really interesting is um the I think the first thing that I I notice right is so Gandalf says they're trapped, um, and he kind of questions himself why did I delay? Uh, and he, this was a great line too. <laughs> yep. He says, "Here we are, caught just as they were before, but I was not here then. We will see what." And he's cut off by the drums, <laughs> you know. And again, I think I know this is going to be a Gandalf episode, and you're going to get to. You're going to get to have your day in the sun at the, <laughs> at the end, <laughs> but, um, but it is, but it is true. And and we talked about that a lot in the last episode, um, that Gandalf is extremely powerful and like, just like the battle with the wolves really wasn't a battle at all. Hmm. Right. There, there, there was no threat because the wolves aren't the threat. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Um, I, um, I like this line. It, it's it's not the part that I would usually like, you know. But I was not here then, which look is just a true statement because I think I think Gandalf saw clearly the ultimate futility of of that expedition, and one of the reasons why is because they had no possibility of dealing with what was there. But Gandalf mm-hmm. obviously himself presents a possibility of dealing with the ultimate problem. In Moria, yeah. But I think what was yeah. interesting to me is he says, "Why did I delay?" I think the answer to that question is a really good answer because mm-hmm. although finding out what happened to Balin and the dwarves was not, you know, the main part of the mission, we've seen Gand- mm-hmm. what what has been characteristic of Gandalf for the entire story up to this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's compassion. Yeah, he for people. He yeah. is. While being extremely powerful and by while being bound to the single mindedness of this mission, the importance of the mission, the urgency of it, the the his integral part in it, it's really his task. Like in a lot of ways, this is the reason that he is exists as a wizard in Middle Earth is to do with this. But mm-hmm. he has to stop here, and it's because it's important to know what happened to Balin and, yeah. and to the dwarves that he brought back. It's not only important to Gimli. But it's important mm-hmm. to Gandalf. It's important to the party because yeah. we, it, it, the good guys, the good guys don't just, you know, th- we're gonna see it very notably later. But the good guys don't just leave the dead 
to, mm-hmm. you know, to ride on the ground. There, there's an honoring thing here, and I think that yeah. Gandalf says, "Man, I wish, I wish we could have avoided it." But I don't think that's a why. Oh, why did why? Right. But it's almost like he got sucked in because it was mm-hmm. important because Balin was a was their friend, and yeah, obviously Gimli was extremely close to all these dwarves, mm-hmm. like close right. enough to know their handwriting instantly. Right. And that's a, that's a really cool yeah. thing that Tolkien. Look, you, you could read this dozens of times and never catch it because it, it's it's just yeah. it's barely in there, and that that's yep. what he does. You know, yeah. you have to stop and think about it. Why? Yeah. Why did they sit here? You know, it's right. not just to tell us stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, it's not. Yeah. It's not just so we can build suspense. There is there's a character development. So that's that's the mm-hmm. Gandalf thing for me so far. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it is. I think it's. I think it is important to to continue to reiterate that that the good the good guys, while right, while we've we've bashed on things that the good guys do, right, is not rooting out the enemy. You know, the elves leaving the land mm-hmm. of Holland and it becomes desolate. You know, the the lands of the north, right, the Arnor kingdom being desolate because no one has taken the land mm-hmm. um are, are are bad things but but at the core what holds it all together is that there's a care for the the peoples mm-hmm. you know that they're that they're around and and that's an important thing and it and it's not to be lost and it's going to be it's going to continue to be important as we come into other civilizations with Lorien and right. Rohan and you know, and Gondor, like that element is critical to, to the mission being able to survive. Mm. And so, so the lots of voices, um, it's interesting that Aragorn, Aragorn immediately takes over, um, military command in mm-hmm. the room. W- wouldn't you say that's yeah. it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, I think, I don't, I don't know what Gandalf's doing. Gandalf basically, um, he overrides. So, so Aragorn says to wedge the doors, slam them, and wedge them. Gandalf says, "Don't wedge them both. Right? We need mm-hmm. to keep. We need to keep the east one open so that we can get out. Right? We'll go that way if we mm-hmm. get a chance." And then they, it's 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 starting to be a really bad situation. Right? Every they're hearing tons of enemies coming, and he springs forward, and and Gandalf comes out and. It says in a loud voice, you know, who who comes hither to disturb the rest of Balin, Lord of Moria? And mm-hmm. the response of those outside is to laugh. Yeah. And, and I think we've seen that before, right? Saruman laughed mm-hmm. when when Gandalf told him that treating him when, with him might not be one of the lesser things. Mm-hmm. And he laughed. And I don't I don't mm-hmm. think we should miss here that while it seems like Gandalf is giving a bunch of bluster. I don't think that's what's happening. I, I think that he is pronouncing doom on not only those who come into the hall, but if you're if you're going to mess with me, <laughs> you you better watch it. <laughs> it's yeah. it's not going to go well for you, right? Yeah, I think um, in this little section, I I think one of the things I also love is um, Aragorn's optimism at right, like he's he's giving the he's giving the command you know, for prepared and to attack and to bar the door. And Gandalf overrides that, but his optimism of we may, we may cut our way out yet, mm-hmm. you know? And I think like it's a, <clears throat> I think it's optimism in the strength of their ability. Um, I also think it's just that like that commander's 
prowess to say, hey, we, we will win the day and to motivate, you know, to motivate the troops to, to move forward. Hmm. Um, otherwise, I don't have this. So then really from there, you know, we move. So basically we know that they're coming. There's a lot of them. So yeah. this door is, there's no way out and at this, on that side. We also know that a lot of them are from Mordor. Right, because right, it says right. that many of them are are large, evil Uruks of Mordor. Right. So, yeah. I mean, Which, that shows you what's going on in Moria. Right. right? It, it is. is right. It's of note. Yeah. Right. Yes. Absolutely. And so then, then we start to we kind of get our first action. So they come to the door. Um, Bormir pushes the door closed. Um, a great flat toeless foot was forced through below, and there was. Uh, a huge arm and a shoulder that comes through. Boromir slashes at it. His sword is knocked away and notched. Um, and then Frodo, you know, feeling the heat of anger and the heat of battle, I think, jumps up and stabs it in the foot. And it says the blood drops drip from the blade and smoked on the floor. But he, but he did some damage. So, a um, couple thoughts. I think we know that this creature... <laughs> <laughs> that we're encountering is something different mm-hmm. right for for because we all because for for boromir to hit to strike it with his sword and it to bounce away is it's a it's powerful mm-hmm. um but also for its blood to to smoke on the floor would suggest that it's something other than other than normal yeah and i don't i don't, I don't know exactly what it is i it's it's not the balrog you know, I don't. The Balrog's not sticking his arm in the door like that. Mm-hmm. That's we're going to get well versed in it by the time we're done with the story. But that's not what the powerful bad guys do. Is they send their minions out right. in front of them. So mm-hmm. either it's either a almost like like for lack of a better term, like a imbued big boss orc, which, which is kind of mm-hmm. what I think. Like something that's mm-hmm. been enraged or given some. You know, maybe a spell cast on it to to mm-hmm. come in and be a berserker or something like that. I, I could see that because the Balrog deals in fire, you know, in flame. Mm-hmm. I could see it yeah. almost setting his blood boiling in a sense. Right. Yeah. But but notable yeah. that Frodo that Frodo jumps out and you know Frodo stabs and and I think we it's easy we've we've said it many times it's easy for the hobbits to fade into the background with the bigger badder people but frodo not mm-hmm. only is aggressive to do this but frodo obviously feels a sense of leadership to come out front and do this nobody nobody told him he has he has the right yeah. to act and he's he's really in charge of the whole thing he he's mm-hmm. resting on the council of those who have a lot of experience but he's going to jump out and do this because i i think it's a show that frodo understands that his fights against mordor and that mm-hmm. he has to he has to actively go towards the goal he he doesn't get to just sit back and rely on other people. It's pretty right. interesting there. Yeah. Yep. So then, um, so they they break into the door, uh, and and so it says how many there were. The company could not count. The affray was sharp, but the orcs were dismayed by the fierceness of the defense. You know, Legolas shot two through the throat. Gimli hewed the legs. Um, under one that had sprung up on Balin's tomb, and Bor it just says Boromir and Aragorn slew many. <laughs> and so, um, and it is interesting too because this this action, 
for me, uh, while while I I like from the last scene we have or the last chapter we have the wolf uh, kind of battle, mm-hmm. um, but here we have like I don't know this one feels much more tense. Yeah, like, I don't you know there there was no threat before to me, and it could and I think that's the power of the book, right? Hemming us in. Um, we know there are tons of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they're they're really uh, only limited by how fast they can get in this kind of wedge door, mm-hmm. basically, and kind of probably yeah. the size of the room. You know, you can't yeah. they can't just pour a hundred of them in there at once. It's too yeah. small. So the defenders right. kind of have that to their advantage that it's a small area that they can that has a choke point. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it, it obviously the defense becomes fast and furious. You know, Frodo strikes yeah. that first blow but then it's just a it's a mad dash of killing going on and yeah so the idea would be i think that they fall back like the the Mm -hmm. orcs fall back this is really furious you know they go in and die and probably it seems it almost seems to me like three seconds you know 13 of them are dead they've already seen gandalf shoot a like a a flare out the door to see how many of them there are so the the orcs Mm -hmm. are at least somewhat aware that there's yeah it's a it's a bad place to walk in you know yeah and so yeah. they're going to take off and then this this no moment happens is while they're taking off it says this is the only time i remember pippin and mary being mentioned is that before they had reached the stair outside the other door an orc chieftain ducks under kind of evades some stuff and and uh evades a blow from aragorn and throws a a spear at Frodo mm-hmm. and hits Frodo in the chest and pins him up against the wall. And mm-hmm. I think everybody knows it. It's notable from the movie. It's a it's an iconic thing that you know Aragorn is picks him up and he's going to carry him out down the staircase and and Frodo like kind of comes out of it and says put me down. Right. <laughs> right. And, and Aragorn nearly drops him because he thought he was dead because there's right. you know and and something about you know not really knowing what happened, but Gandalf kind of with the twinkling eye going, "Hey, uh, we don't have time to think about that right now." But there's something more to him than meets the eye, you know, right? <laughs> that sort yeah. of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. His secret is still intact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it, it is interesting too, though that. Um, again, I, I think there's it's this little play. It doesn't say it. But I think there's still this draw of the ring from evil because it's fascinating to me that he he specifically chucks the spear at Frodo when mm-hmm. right he dodges basically he he parries Boromir's attack and ducks under Aragorn's attack to throw a spear at Frodo like mm-hmm. when there's when there's greater warriors that would help their you know intrusion into the hall that's right. his move. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if it's a, an attempt to kill the weak, you know, like that Mm kind of like what a predator does, right? You just, you focus out on one and get them where it hurts in, in sort of Mm -hmm. way. Also missed there that Sam had killed one of them. Probably should note that Sam killed one Frodo and Sam by basically in the heat of the battle, Mary and Pippin kind of standing around the back and running off. I think we had kind of seen that as that Frodo and Sam are the more mature hobbits, the more, I think right. ready for this, but right. 
but yeah, I don't I don't know why he goes back for him, but that I think it's gonna it's a common theme here that over and over again the servants and enemy like single out the ring bearer. There's mm-hmm. there's something about that that draws them, whether they know it or not. I can't imagine that the orc comes in, looks at the situation, is like, well, that one's that one's the whole reason they're in here. <laughs> Throws a spear. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. I think it. I think right. it's probably a combination of having some kind of sense of you mm-hmm. know a power or visibility even to right. to be more aware of him but also maybe that kind of picking off the weak like cuz cuz right. Frodo's not out the door yet you know i think right. a lot of the others had gotten out the door right yeah yeah that's true so then we so then Gandalf says to run so um he uh so he he Aragorn picks up Frodo and and moves on um and Aragorn or Gandalf says he's going to stay and cover the door mm-hmm. while they go. Um, Aragorn protests and says, no, we're not going to leave you. And Gandalf, it says, fiercely says, do as I say, as he's mm-hmm. going to stand guard at the door. Mm. Um, and he, and he claims, and this is, this is interesting. So I think this is Gandalf's first sense of maybe something that's coming. Cause he says, swords are no more use here, which is, which is an interesting line because swords have been of great use, right? You know, in in running the enemy back, mm-hmm. you know, for this for this quick reprieve. Yeah, at some point in the battle, I think Gandalf becomes aware that there's there's something else going on, and mm-hmm. and I think this is the thing, knowing that it's time to get them out of the way. He really sends them on ahead, and uh, his his defense is going to be to to put a closing spell on that door. And, and to try mm-hmm. to keep and, and presumably the orcs would not be able to open it or to break that spell. And right. You know, I think that lends credence to the line of Gandalf saying, Well, I wasn't here then, like that kind of thing. Yeah. He has he has access to ways to handle this that they didn't have before. Right. Right. But yeah. he comes back, right? And yeah. <laughs> it uh, it doesn't go well for him. You know, he right. he stumbles back in his basically saying that he's nearly spent like that, that. Yeah. That there was something on the other side of that door. And when Gandalf put the spell on that, he says the counter spell nearly broke him. Right. And so he knows yeah. now that there is something way powerful that's, yeah, that's coming behind him. And so, yeah. and that defense is pretty short lived, but it does right. crumble down the door. Right. right. It, it, and crush the room. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so some so something really powerful here, and I wanted to. I think here's the point um, where I wanted to comment that um, in the book section with Balin, right, and you mentioned it is that the enemy is either toying with them, whatever, right. Durin's bane does not come forth to challenge Balin's company. No, right. The no. minions do that, but. He is coming forth now. Right. Right. And and really, Gimli, first of all, the dwarves, is going to see Durin's Bane and live. Mm-hmm. Right? Because... Yeah. Because... The, and and we, we're, we're so close now, but... Because the bridge encounter really illuminates a lot of what's going on. Um, mm-hmm. So we want to get there. <laughs> yeah. I think it's time. They're, they're like, running. I want to do one more thing, because I think okay. I had to hold it, because it's the last light. Right? They're... They're mm-hmm. making their way all the way down. And if you remember in the last chapter, the light was Gandalf's staff, Gollum's eyes, and then the mm-hmm. shafts of light. 
But now yep. we get the last light in Moria, and it's going to be the the red light of fire, which mm-hmm. basically is they make their way down to the first level. That, that there's a comment that it's hot, and and that there's fire that kind of separates off this passage. And as they get mm-hmm. through, they're going to have to go through the the bridge of Kazadum, which is a pretty amazing thing. Right, because it's it was built for defense from the outside. Is there's this basically single file bridge that spans like fifty feet over a huge chasm, and mm-hmm. so if you're going to come in and attack Moria, you're basically <laughs> going to be coming in in a single file line across this <laughs> right. bridge. <laughs> it, right, it's going to be pretty hard to get in there. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So there we are. I mean, we've got you know Gandalf and. The Balrog behind the door have crashed out the whole chamber of Mazarbul. Like it's, yep. and he says Balin's buried deep now under the stone mm-hmm. that collapsed in. And they, and he comes out and they, they get to the bridge finally. And then they see, yep. you know, as they, as they come, they see this shadow. And it's, it's probably worth saying it. They, it, there, there's all this fire and it says the light faded as if a cloud had been over it. Then with a rush, it leaped across this fissure that was blocking. There was this crack with a bunch of fire and then flames roared up to greet it almost like it's summoning fire. And it was wreathed mm-hmm. about it and black smoke in the air. It's streaming main kindled and blaze behind it. In its right hand was a blade like a stabbing tongue of fire In its left. It held a whip of many thongs. I, I wailed Legolas, a Balrog, hmm. a Balrog has come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Gandalf says, um, a Balrog, now I understand. He faltered mm-hmm. and leaned heavily on his staff. What an evil fortune, and I am already weary. Mm-hmm. So now yeah. the final showdown, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> this is this is your time to this is your time to bask in the glory of Gandalf. So in in my I don't know. I would saw it in my knowledgeable ignorance for years. I would grope about for a lot of symbolism in the Lord of the Rings and I think I missed a lot of it and was simplistic with a lot of it. And, and much of the time, I think I had equated, I said, you know, it's not exact, but kind of, kind of like Frodo is the priest, Aragorn's the king, and Gandalf's the prophet. But my mm-hmm. more proto take on it, like way long ago, was more like Gandalf is kind of like the Holy Spirit, that, mm-hmm. that he always like raises people up to action, that he, he tells the truth, right, that he is in a sense that he is always encouraging good guys to be strong, to, to take up, you know, to, mm. to do what they're supposed to do, to have courage. Mm. And I think in the Christian life, that's, we get courage from the Holy spirit, right? The Holy spirit mm. reminds us of who God is, what he's done, why we should mm. fear God, why we should have courage. Mm. And then you really, because of this podcast, you really start looking at what happens here. And I think mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's right there, and I was groping around in the dark for something a long time ago, <laughs> and here it is, because we have this epic thing with this just gigantic monster who, you know, Gimli had said it's Durin's Bane, you know, and he mm-hmm. covered his face. Mm-hmm. Like, he couldn't look at it, you know. Right. Legolas, an immortal being, is just, 
mortified, like, mm-hmm. you know, terrified at what he sees. And Gandalf comes tired, and he stands on this bridge, and he tells all the rest to get away from him. Aragorn and Boromir don't want to. And this is one of those scenes that the movie just hits pitch perfect. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's absolutely brilliant. But there's this yeah. gigantic demon, and, and Gandalf says the lines that that probably everybody knows, right? He says, you cannot pass. Mm -hmm. He says, I am a servant of the secret fire, wielder of the flame of honor. You cannot pass. The dark fire will not avail you, flame of Udin. Go back to the shadow. You cannot pass. Right. Yeah. So we're going to have to park here and exegete all these words. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I think we are. I, I think it's super important. So let's take them one at a time. Servant of yeah. the secret fire. So I know you, mm-hmm. you'd come at it Sunday. Yeah. Secret fire. Yeah. yeah. So the secret fire is a line from the Silmarillion that as the, uh, as the Ainur are singing the song of creation, the secret fire is what Iluvatar gives to them to give life to their creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's also called the flame imperishable, mm-hmm. right? It's imperishable because creation cannot be undone at this point. Mm-hmm. Once Iluvatar has breathed into creation, it cannot be undone. And so for, for Gandalf to say, I am a servant of the secret fire, is to suggest that, right, that that he is he is a servant of the creator directly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sent, sent by God to... Yeah. To, to basically fight on the side of light. You know, it's interesting. It mm-hmm. reminds me way back. I wish I could remember the episode. Um, I need to look it up again and watch it. There is an episode. Look, look, you want to descend this thing into about three <laughs> levels deeper of nerddom. <laughs> We're going to go Star Trek here. Go, there, go for it. <laughs> there's, there's an episode in Star Trek, The Next Generation, where they find this thing. It, it's It's kind of got like energy or light, and they're taking it through all their high-tech scientific analysis, trying to figure out what it is, you know, mm-hmm. and they it, they spend the whole episode, like, going through every scientific test they can think of. And basically the conceit of Star Trek is that there's basically no scientific method unearthed. Like, they, they live in perfect scientific method, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And they cannot find out why this thing is emitting light. They can't. Mm-hmm. Like, what is the source of energy They've combed it over and cannot figure it out. And the answer in the last five minutes of the episode, do you remember it? Vaguely. So you're going to have to just fill me yeah, in. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. the, the answer to why this thing is giving off life is because it's alive. It, it has life. Life is a mm-hmm. thing that couldn't be measured. It couldn't be scientifically explained. And, that, and that's still the case. No one can tell you why we are alive other than mm-hmm. God made us alive, right? Mm-hmm. Why do all the biochemical processes work? We can explain the biochemical processes. We can explain why we can, we can explain how we take breath. We can explain mm-hmm. how our heart beats, but what we can't explain is how all of these things are held in motion all the time. And I think, mm-hmm. I think there's a part of why Tolkien explains the flame imperishable and the secret fire that way that, that creation is a profound mystery. Mm-hmm. That and and Tolkien was really really onto that. That and because look, even if you don't run read the Silmarillion, 
I would, which mm-hmm. first of all, you just need to get over that. <laughs> like that's ridiculous. You need to read it. But yeah. the creation part of it in the song is just truly beautiful. It's it's a mm-hmm. it's an amazing take on a creation story. And I think yep. this is what weaves it in is the mystery of it. How can song mm-hmm. bring all these beings to life? And if you don't have this life, then if you don't have the imperishable flame, then you're not alive. You're a rock. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. you know, or something along right. those lines. Yeah. Yeah. So he's also the wielder of the flame of honor. Right. Yeah. So this this is a little bit of a mystery. Um, we know that uh, Anor is uh, Sindarin for the word for sun. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's a wielder of the flame of the sun. Um, I I don't know. Basically, all I can what I suggest this to mean is the is that along with the first line is that Gandalf's making a claim of kind of equal power to his opponent at mm-hmm. this point. Yep. He's saying you're you're not you're not being unearthed by the mortal races that you've been dominating for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, orcs and dwarves or whatever else may have come in here, maybe even the watcher in the water, mm-hmm. right? You you're amongst you're amongst an equal here. Yeah. And I I think this is I think this couplet is actually not with the I think that the flame of honor is a couplet with the dark fire will not avail you. Like basically mm-hmm. I'm of the sun, mm-hmm. you know, I'm of the most powerful force of light that's been mm-hmm. ordained by God, your flame, which the flame of Udun, right? Mm-hmm. Udun has a double meaning. Udun is the, yeah. an alternate name of Morgoth's original fortress. Right. right, but Udin also means hell, right? So there's the idea that your dark fire from hell mm-hmm. is not going to avail you against the light of the sun that's given by the giver of the imperishable flame, the secret fire, mm-hmm. right? That's right. So yep. the the giver of life himself is going to prevail over your dark flame from the pit of hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in yeah. a way, it's how you talk to a demon, right? That that Gandalf is yeah. an angel, in a sense, talking to a fallen angel. We're mm-hmm. we're of the same we're of the same class, class but you <clears throat> you actually followed the lesser power, thinking it was mm-hmm. the greater power, and so you're corrupted, right. so you can't pass. Right. right. Thoughts on that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's I think that's right on, and and that's. Uh, that's exactly where I wanted to go with this. Um, and it is like, it's the most, it's the most critical line, uh, in all this. And it's got a lot, you know, it's got a lot riding on it. I think the last part, and I think this is the right place to talk about it before we, before we move on is the way that the angel of light and the angel of dark present themselves, Mm -hmm. right? This, this angel of dark presents himself as a terror, Mm -hmm. albeit, a uh, you know, an amazing terror, right? In a sense, like mm-hmm. that he, he commands shadow around him. The flames lick around him and don't burn him, or at least the burning doesn't, you know, maybe it does burn him, but it's right. He's so immune to the pain at this point that, that it doesn't matter. Right. A, a terrible display of power. Whereas 
Gandalf presents himself as a haggard old man mm-hmm. <laughs> Who, who's and yet often cloaking yeah. his power. Like his mm-hmm. his response exactly. over and over is to is to cover it up and to not mm-hmm. to not try to terrify his mm-hmm. lessers in a sense. Right. He, exactly. he he doesn't want he he's a protector. Yeah. He is not right. a dominator. Yeah. And I wanted to I want to go there because I think that's very much on purpose. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the nature of good, right? I, I think because yeah. this this part really gives us an opportunity to talk about good versus evil. And I think I think people do simplistically say, well, you know, Tolkien paints in such stark black and white colors, right? That there's no mm-hmm. nuance. And I think lesser authors who made HBO miniseries and can't finish their <laughs> story because they're bankrupt um, don't understand that the beauty of the story, the, the beauty of story is not about telling a bunch of nuance about talking about when people are taking dumps and stuff like that. The The power of story mm-hmm. is to tell about things that are true. And, right. and what happens in the story is that the way Gandalf presents himself is truly the way good presents itself in this world, right? Mm-hmm. That, that good is like, think of, think of the Holy spirit who's very much in view in this, in this chapter, because I think Holy spirit is the animator of life, right? The mm-hmm. Holy spirit was um, floating across the surface of the waters before creation and, and the Holy mm-hmm. spirit is the fount of life. And I think in this situation, what we see is that the Holy spirit, I've heard him described as the humble sovereign, right? Where, mm. where Christ empties himself of divinity to become a man, which is ultimate humiliation. The Holy spirit speaks of himself. Never. He speaks of Christ in this sense. Mm-hmm. Look at what Gandalf does, right? Gandalf doesn't draw himself up to a huge height. Gandalf speaks of his better, right? He appeals mm-hmm. to God. Essentially, I'm a servant of the secret fire, not Mm -hmm. I'm the holder of the secret fire or I am the, you know, I'm the dispenser of it. Nothing like that. And that, and and even when Tolkien brings it out after he says this, the the Balrog's response is to draw himself up and to fill up the whole cavern, essentially Mm -hmm. to stretch from wall to wall and just burst into flame supposedly you know i would think probably in his wrath right and Mm -hmm. trying to inspire fear and what gandalf does is it almost seems like he's even smaller it says he looks like a wizened tree before the onset of a storm like a little like a little palm Mm -hmm. tree or something that's a Mm -hmm. that's got hurricane winds circling around it like how in the world could that tree stand up to to this storm but evil always thinks itself to be big and bad you know, and I think, I think good can humbly rely on the power of the creator. Is that kind of where right. you were going? Yeah, yeah, it is definitely. And I think, um, I think it's crazy how in essentially one paragraph that Tolkien can can communicate that in in you know really in I guess two two or three paragraphs really to get the full sense of the Balrog and Gandalf's stature. Um, but how he can communicate that truth in a really, in a really visceral, but, and also in a really powerful, like in a powerful imaginative way. Um, and it's like, and it is like, that's, that's the whole, um, that's the whole teeter totter of our existence Mm -hmm. being, you know, being really 
beautifully painted for us in three paragraphs. Oh yeah, this this is majestic <laughs> writing. And mm-hmm. do you want to push it ahead even harder? Because I think yeah, I, I think we can. Because yeah, because what happens now? Right, this wizened little tree, the Balrog steps up, raises himself up, and crashes his sword down. Mm-hmm. Right, and and it says that. Um, his sword was red, leaping, flame, and glamdring, which is Gandalf's sword, glittered white in answer. They clash, and there's a stab mm-hmm. of white fire. So what happened with that clash? Right? Gandalf's, yeah. the little wizened tree, his sword dominates the color of the fire, right? White fire. Mm-hmm. And the Balrog right. steps back, the wizard sways, and then stands still again. He's very still. Mm-hmm. He screams, yeah. you cannot pass. Now, this is what I was after. The the Balrog leaps on the bridge. He's bringing the attack. Where are the orcs right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're cowering, you know, behind him. They're no help at all. They're yeah. they're terrified. And this this just leaps off the page. When the Balrog assaults, Aragorn says he cannot stand alone. And he mm-hmm. suddenly runs back along the bridge. Elendil, he shouted, I'm with you, Gandalf. Gondor cried Boromir and leaped after him. Mm-hmm. So, so what? <laughs> yeah, what what has Gandalf inspired here, right? And what do right. good guys do? Yep. And so this is, man, you just nailed this for me because I I think <laughs> what's so great about Gandalf is I think what you're continuing to push at is that he inspires others to equip them for the mission in front of them the hobbit the the entire book of the hobbit is about that Mm -hmm. is that he he the hobbit doesn't give us this we get this in actually we get this in the appendices um of this story but gandalf meets thorin in Bree by chance and inspires him to retake erebor Mm. You know, there's a there and there's a yearning in Thorin to do so. Gandalf's the one that gives him the push, and Gandalf's the one that that introduces Bilbo to Thorin, hmm. you know, and makes him a part of the company. Gandalf's the one who inspires Bilbo to leave the ring to Frodo, you know, who inspires Frodo to take it um and and to go on the mission and he's the one here who stands against the darkest enemy they faced um and and inspires the king of men mm-hmm. to run and fight against an enemy that that outclasses him yeah yeah there's nothing Aragorn can do against the Balrog mm-hmm. and we've we've not seen anything that would indicate there is and i i, I love how you frame that so here's where i'll i'll indulge myself a little bit Mm-hmm. Gandalf, Gandalf has always been my favorite character. I think for wrong reasons when I was kid, not wrong, but as a kid, you like the cool stuff. I think, I think as a man, where I just love this character. I mean, he can, you know, every every time I think of this scene, it it brings tears to my eye. It's 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 mm-hmm. because of the honor of it, right? Because yeah. what I what I've always thought is. I so fail at it, but I so dearly want to be a man like Gandalf, who mm-hmm. does not fear, who mm-hmm. is not falsely modest, who's not mm-hmm. so obsessed with being nice that he can't ever tell the truth to anybody, and to basically 
through his leadership and through his cloaking himself, inspires love in his lessers, inspires the greatest mm-hmm. acts that the world had ever seen, and ultimately disciples a king. Because I think mm-hmm. the story is showing us that Aragorn, in all of his majesty and his greatness, is a disciple of Gandalf, and that, mm-hmm. that Gandalf has has taught and pushed what's going to make a kingly man, knowing that he'll never be the king. He's content, and I think we'll get there. That it's you know that as Gandalf is the one who crowns, right? Gandalf is the one who basically passes that torch of the protector that he's mm-hmm. prepared Aragorn and Aragorn is starting. I think Aragorn doesn't have the struggle that he's shown in the movie, but here we see mm-hmm. that Aragorn is not going to let his friend die alone mm-hmm. to the pit, you know, from this flame of hell on the bridge. Mm-hmm. Even if he dies, there's no way that Gandalf is going to stand alone because that's what, that's what powerful, courageous men do. Right, mm-hmm. is they inspire that kind of love in others, and that's what men want to see, and that's why this story yeah. resonates so powerfully with men. How many men mm-hmm. have you heard that read books that this is their favorite saga yeah. of all time? Yeah. I mean, is it not pretty much everybody? Almost all. <laughs> it, it really is, and I think <laughs> any, this any... is this is a small moment that's yeah. easy to miss. That is more obvious with characters like Theoden later. I think. Mm-hmm. This is a small moment that shows you why do men love this story so much. And mm-hmm. It's because of characters like Gandalf. Yeah. Because everybody yeah. wants to be that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's just completely admirable. Not that he's right. without flaws. He's not without. You know, he mm-hmm. has flaws. But the yeah. good so overcomes it, right? He's so mission-oriented, and he inspires such love that mm-hmm. he, he's always been and I think always will be my favorite character in literature. I, I mm-hmm. just I drink it in. This this podcast has only made me appreciate him even more. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is pretty astounding. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, so I think um one thing I wanted to it's not about Gandalf, but I, and I'm interested in your take because so Aragorn makes this move and he cries Elendil and he's uh and he and he says, I am with you. And then Boromir follows Aragorn and mm-hmm. cries Gondor. And I, and I think, all right, it's this chain of Boromir's looking to, like, Boromir's a proud man. Mm-hmm. But he follows the king. Yeah. And, and remember, he and, led in clearing the path at Caradhras. Mm-hmm. But I think, he's, I think he's starting to see, like, mm-hmm. you know, this is not some scraggly ranger out of the north. Like right. this, this and, truly is a man to follow, a kingly man. Yeah, yeah, and so, and so, I think it's important here too, is that as as Aragorn can do nothing, Boromir can also do nothing, but he's going to follow his king into the fray. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we don't, you know, and again, I think Tolkien's very light-handed with it here, but I can see, like, and again, like he's valiant. I think that's an L, like that's a part of his character. But he's he's desirous for a king, right? He's desirous for a leader who is gonna right sacrificially throw himself at the front of the line against a foe that's beyond him, mm-hmm. and he's gonna follow him. Yep, I think I think it's right there. I think there's a lot of succession stuff going on, or or hints at it in this chapter. Mm-hmm. So we know how that ends, yeah. right? Yeah, is that yeah. the blinding sheet of white flame comes up and the bridge can't take it. 
essentially like mm-hmm. uh, just like they crashed the chamber of Mazerbol, right yeah. the bridge can't handle this clash of power and so the stone crumbles and the balrog falls but he whips out and grabs gandalf's legs with his the whip and pulls him yeah. off and, and gandalf um as he slides off into the abyss he says fly you fools and was mm. gone <laughs> i don't think that's a mean yeah. fools I, I right. think it's wake up. Yeah. You, I think you knew this was going to happen Aragorn. Like, you know, I yeah. think, I think you saw it coming and I've done what I had mm-hmm. to do. You need to go. And, and Aragorn yeah. rightfully does. He, he does. He, he says, come, I will lead you now. We must obey his last command. Follow me. Mm. Quick. Yeah. Quickly acting. Right. Yep. Yeah. I want to, do a quick um, step out, step back, real quick. When and get your take okay. is when when Gandalf um, when Gandalf uh, it says he smote uh, the bridge before him with a staff. The staff broke asunder and fell from his hand. Right. I'm curious what what your opinion is on why the staff is broken and what it signifies. Hmm. So. I think that man. I'm sorry to put you on the spot. We didn't. <laughs> no, talk about no, this no. Before. I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I'm good. I think, I think that I have a, I have a pretty good, pretty reasoned opinion on it. I think we see, we see another staff break when Saruman's office is broken later. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think, I think what's happened is that this is the breaking of Gandalf's office. That. Mm-hmm. That this is the end of Gandalf the Grey. This is the end of Gandalf, the, um, you know, the downline in command of the Istari, and that this is going to be his death and resurrection story, where he raises to a new office, and and the yeah. way he does that is that this staff in this office is really overcome by the power of this Balrog. Like it, mm-hmm. it, I think, I think that what happens is the light and the dark here are so equal that everything breaks around them. It's it's almost mm-hmm. like the environment can't can't take the the power clash that's going on. It's almost blowing out from that. And so as the staff breaks, I think it's the sign that Gandalf has truly died. Mm-hmm. Right? But yeah. just like another man who famously died and and rose again that that Gandalf is going to throw down the the servant of hell that he's going to crush mm-hmm. him, you know, he, mm-hmm. and it, and it eventually fights him on top of a mountain, you know, mm-hmm. and throws him down in ruin. Right. And I, right. I think it is that he can't do that in this office. There's going to have to be death and that's the end of it. I think that's my take mm-hmm. on it. Yeah. Yeah. I had a very similar thought is that I, I was kind of wrestling with the idea that it was the, the power of the light and the dark against each other. I saw it more as a as a purposeful breaking on Gandalf's part is that he's choosing to break the staff mm-hmm. in his recognition of the death that's coming mm-hmm. um, and that he exhausted his power basically he's he's used his life mm-hmm. to break the staff and break the bridge to cast the demon out yeah I think I think that's exactly it I think it's very clearly like a death a death motif going on there. Mm-hmm. 
and okay. and the fellowship definitely takes it that way. So we're we're yeah. we're pretty much done. I think I think there's one mm-hmm. last thing I wanted to say, and then I'll give you the floor too. Is that mm-hmm. they run basically once Aragorn gets them going, and they run nonstop until they're mm-hmm. out of range. And then it says that they stop. It says nothing else was to be seen. The dale all around was empty. Doom, grief at last wholly overcame them, and they wept long. Some standing and silent, some cast upon the ground. Doom, doom. The drum beats faded. Man, he mm-hmm. is really on a roll with the end of chapters in this mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. But it, you can feel it. You can see it that it feels hopeless. But also, I think to to close the book on Gandalf for a while here is that this is what happens when a loved one dies, mm-hmm. right? I don't. The yeah. orcs are not shrieking in agony that the Balrog went into the abyss, but right. but Gandalf's friends are grieving. They mm-hmm. they are broken by this. This is a terrible blow in every way. That mm-hmm. that there were people that dearly love him in this party, and I think everyone mm-hmm. that in the party loves him at this point because he's been their leader and their guide, and he's been talking yeah. to them. They've been right. his kind of in a way his band of disciples. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think that's that's it for me on the chapter. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and I I think the only thing I would add to that is that while like the grief is hanging over them, Aragorn's leadership gets them out of the troubled water before mm-hmm. right. Is that um, you know you, they have they have a right to grieve, but you can't you can't stop in the middle of the of the battle right to grieve and it's in in a sense like that's that's an unfortunate thing mm-hmm. right but um but at the same time it's like there there has to be a captain with a wherewithal to push you through that yeah yeah you know and so yeah i, know, I, I think we a, i think we mind it deep um yeah i think i do want to end with thoughts to roman even though we went deep and I've, i'm actually a little <laughs> exhausted but i think i think i want to do it so Okay. Do you want to do one right. first? It has it has to be me this time because okay. I, I know you went first <laughs> last time. Um, this is this may be an interesting take, uh, but I'm going to let my thought to to Roman be on the book. Hmm. Um, and and here and here's ultimately what it is, uh, because because what the book is doing is really it's revealing a history of our you know of our people in this sense Gimli's people. It's really important for us to know the history of our people. Mm. This is something that I've been wrestling with um, as I'm, you know, as I'm getting older. Uh, as a as a younger man, I didn't care as much about the history, and, and I think for for me, there's there's two there's two avenues of that. So there's the history of the church, right? My people, Christian, like God's people, um, which we get in like in the scriptures with old Israel. And then there's just the, the historical church, um, you know, from, from the apostles up to today. And, and I'm actively reading church history right now. Uh, you know, I'm up in about the five hundreds nice. <laughs> right now, but learning about, right. Learning about the fathers on whose faith we stand on, um, who fought battles against the enemies of the church that we don't have to fight anymore because they sacrificially laid themselves down some politically some right spiritually just fighting heresies um you know of the church and then and then the other side is like the national history of right 
men also paid a heavy price for us to enjoy freedoms and and government and and wealth right that we enjoy today Mm -hmm. and and i've taken that for granted for much of my life and you know and and it's you know and there's there's a reverence that goes right was ballin foolhardy to walk into moria yeah but is there is does that mean he should be revered any less i don't think so no and so and so i think my thought to rome with is you know whether it be a family history um church you know american western whatever just history of the world not the mel brooks version (laughs) Uh, (laughs) that's misinformation (laughs) that's misinformation you know but i think i think um right because because ultimately is god uses actual history to tell story and and we should and we should engage with that that's really good i think mine is i'm gonna i'm gonna do the ode to gandalf and say look if you want to be that kind of man, and let's face it, I, everybody does. If if you want to be mm-hmm. the kind of man that is not afraid, that always fights the enemy rightly, that always encourages and builds up others to be on the mission and on the fight, then I think what we have to do is we have to really reverse that and look at our life and, and see, are we taking the opportunities in in all the small stuff when they come up to to try to do that in our lives are we are we courageously telling the the truth to the people around us are we courageously encouraging people to get in the game to get in the fight and are we standing bravely in the fights and i i, I look at it and i you know i think failures come to mind but a lot of times it's just not having the intentional effort to sit and evaluate and say, am I am I really taking steps to be that kind of man? Because I would I would basically say that that Gandalf really exemplifies the kind of man that that God writes about in Hebrews eleven, and that God writes the Old Testament stories that men who are men who are faithful, men who mm-hmm. you know fear God, who are servants of the Creator, who are who are not afraid of anything because their their father is the King of Kings. And I think I think that's that's what we need to do is reverse engineer that and try to evaluate ourselves. There's no reason for us to be cowardly men when we serve Christ. Right? Mm-hmm. Christ has conquered all. There's there's nothing for us to be afraid of. That that He's even defeated death, so we don't even have to worry about that. That mm-hmm. that our resurrection is assured because Christ is the yeah. first fruits of that resurrection. So that's right. it. A little little shorter for this time. I know we went long. I, I feel like this chapter was kind of one of those that needed to be done justice. It is really iconic. So Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's it for us. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. Join us again next time as we slow down a bunch and, and Mm -hmm. get into the, the golden wood and talk about La Florian. 